morning, church. How's everybody doing? I'm so happy to be here today to be baptized at Centerview. Um, I wouldn't want this to happen anywhere else than the church that I call home. And uh, this is the place where I actually first heard and understood the gospel message and uh, where it was faithfully preached to me. And um, some backstory on me is I was actually raised Catholic, went to a Catholic school my whole life. Um, but somehow I had never really uh, had the opportunity to understand the saving gospel and what it meant to be saved from sin and what it truly meant to live a life that follows God. Um, about from 13, 14 onward, I pretty much, because I didn't really believe, I pretty much completely let go of any Christian or Catholic beliefs that I had. And uh, I actually started uh, developing and holding on to a lot of New Age spiritual beliefs. And um, I didn't even know the term New Age until I became Christian, but you know, I believed in things like uh, good and bad energies, zodiac signs, reincarnation, and uh, ultimately the belief that I, along with everyone else, is a part of God and is connected in that way, and therefore I was God myself. I did always try to be a good person, but by relying on my own understanding of what good is, my own standard, um, which caused me to live a life of sin and think I was do fine with what I was doing. You know, I'm not as bad as this person or, you know, I don't kill people. I don't do that. So, you know, I'm a good person. Right. But, you know, I was my own compass because I was my own God. And that led to a life of confusion, fear, anxiety and uh, struggle in many areas of my life. <coughs> because my faith was ultimately in myself, someone imperfect and lost. And because of that belief, everything was on me. I was the end-all, be-all when it came to any situation. I needed to be perfect, and when I wasn't, it impacted me very negatively because I was looking to myself and relying on myself. My belief was that I was God, and I genuinely believed it, but I didn't feel like God. I know, a shocker, right? <laughs> um, but I first felt that feeling that I just didn't feel like God despite my beliefs one day in my room alone. And for the first time in my life, I actually cried out to God. I prayed for the first time that to the God that I knew existed, but to the God that I didn't know personally. But I cried out to him, and I wanted to know who he truly was, and I asked him to reveal himself to me. And uh, that brings me to a friend that I have, Bruno, who many of you know. Um, <laughs> he's just a blessing to this church. He's a blessing in my life. And um, so he was there for me. Um, a few days after I, oh, well, actually, so at that point, we had talked about Jesus. He talked about Christ to me, but most of the conversations basically was him trying to convince me, Leo, you're not God. <laughs> you're not God. But I was like, no, nah, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure I'm God <laughs> at that time. <laughs> but um, a few days after I had that moment in my room alone, um, I had a quick thought pop up in my head. I want to go to church. It was a fle fleeting thought. I didn't think twice about it, but um, Bruno was there for me at that time, and I asked him, and he brought me here to Centerview. <clears throat> and the first Sunday I came was when I first heard truly and understood the saving gospel and the gospel message that we are sinners, that this world is broken, but that God is real and wants to save us, and that, that, that God is Jesus Christ. And he sacrificed his life to redeem us and reconcile us to the God that created us and actually loves us. And when I heard those things, I felt in my heart that what I was hearing was true, but 
I didn't fully believe just yet. My heart knew it was true, but my brain wasn't willing yet. But uh, I did go home. I racked my brain. I questioned my beliefs. I was convicted in my heart. But the next week, I still continued. I went to church the next week on Sunday, and at the end of service, William asked for anyone who needed prayers to come down. And I thought to myself, there's, there's no way I'm going down there. You know, like, that's the first thought I had. There's no way I'm going down there. Doing some, participating in something publicly like that just isn't something I would do. Anybody who knows me knows that I wouldn't do that. Um, but suddenly, I just felt my legs just get up and start walking down those stairs right there. And I just thought to myself, what am I doing? Like, I didn't even, I don't know what was happening, right? But I came down. For the first time, I was prayed over. And when William and Christina prayed over me, everything they were saying was everything that I had been thinking to myself in the last few days. <coughs> it was like they were reading my mind. It was like they're reading my mind back to me, and I just couldn't believe it. And in that moment, um, well, while my eyes were closed, being prayed over, suddenly I, I saw a scene in my mind, and it was like I could see myself from behind, and a huge, bright, warm light was over me. But as well as the light, I saw a darkness like a shadow leaving from behind me. And I could feel that it wanted to come back to where I was, but it couldn't because of this light that was on me. And that scene that I saw just made me know for certain that what I've been hearing about Jesus and the gospel is true, that Christ is the truth and the light. And in that moment, I believed and I gave my life to Christ. I now know that when I was there in that night in my room and for the first time looked outside of myself and asked God to reveal himself to me that he led me uh, to a place where I could hear his word faithfully preached and to where he could show himself to me. I asked and he answered. It took that one step of honestly wanting to know who God is and he revealed himself to me through Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7 verse 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. God wants to know every single one of you, but it takes that first honest step of asking and seeking and truly wanting to know him in your heart, and I promise you he will show you that like he did for me. And since then, God has given me new life. I'm just not the same person that I was before. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. My heart now is for God. It seeks after him. And though I still fail, his goodness is always running after me. And I thank God every day that even though I never seeked him, he still didn't turn his face from me in that moment, but instead showed me who he is and led me to my new life in Christ. And that's why I'm being baptized today to publicly confess my faith in Jesus and to tell everyone that God has not only shown himself to me, but saved me. And... My encouragement to everyone who hasn't already is just take that first step. Take that first step and humbly and honestly wish to know who God is. He created you with purpose, and you can only know that purpose by knowing him, the one who gave you that purpose. So just take that first step of seeking and asking and knocking on the door, and I, I promise he will show himself to you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Good morning, Centerview. I just want to say thank you, Leo, for sharing your testimony. It was amazing.
uh, I'll be sharing my testimony now. Good morning, Centerview Church. My name's Freddie, for those of you that don't know me. Uh, my life before Jesus was sinful, to say the least. I was a young teen and just strolled through life, not really worrying about what would come after. My parents raised me Roman Catholic, so I knew of God, but I didn't know God. I had questions and doubts and was really just living a life that I thought was good, but wasn't. In 2017, at 17 years old, I had become depressed. I struggled to go to school and even be in contact with my friends. And as that continued, I would get more and more anxious as time passed and would reach out less and less. They would ask me, why don't you come out or call us? And all I could tell them was that I was just tired, ashamed of the situation I was in. This also started to affect my relationship with my girlfriend, Isabella, and my family, leaving my room less often and just having very little communication with everyone. Through this whole time, Isabella has always tried to push me towards God, but I always brushed it off, thinking, I know God, but he isn't helping me right now. Fast forward to 2019, I'd see motivational videos and people online saying, oh, you're not depressed, you're just lazy. Get up, go out. So that's exactly what I tried. I would call my friends to go out, to parties, hang out, but after I'd leave, it would leave me with the same feeling as if my life had no purpose. I became extremely depressed during this time because nothing I was doing was helping and I became suicidal. I would constantly get thoughts in my head thinking that I shouldn't be here and that no one cared about me, so it didn't matter if I was alive. One day, I was laying in my bed having those terrible thoughts, and amidst those thoughts, there's one that was different. This is not what God wants for me. That thought stuck with me for a long time. I slowly started being more open to the concept of having a relationship with God. Isabella had showed me how to pray because all I ever prayed was the prayers that I learned growing up, the Hail Mary and Our Father. I never knew that I could just talk to him. 2022, November, my friend Bruno called me on FaceTime with a gigantic smile on his face, like I could see a light coming from him. And he told me, I'm a Christian, I'm born again. And all I could think while he was telling me was, he's so happy, I wanna feel that joy that he's feeling. This was the start of my journey with Jesus. I had started attending Centerview Church and reading my Bible, and as I got closer to God, I started to see him in all the little things that he would do around me. About two months in, I started wondering, why don't I feel like I'm saved? I'm reading and praying, and I know God is with me, but why don't I feel saved? That night, I went to my room and just started praying and reading the word, and as I was praying, I started to cry out to God. And that was the moment that I had truly repented and surrendered myself to Jesus Christ, knowing that there's nothing that can do, there's nothing I can do that can save me, only him. Now, almost one year later, I still face challenges and struggles, but I know that God is with me through every battle and every storm that I am always protected by the blood of Jesus. Jesus completely changed my life around, and I'm so grateful for the new life that I have in Christ today. I now know that I was looking for love and joy in all the wrong places. If there's anyone that is facing trouble and feel like there's no one to help, you would just always know that God is by your side, just like he was at mine. There's new life in Jesus Christ. I'm getting baptized today to proclaim my new life in Jesus, and I would like to end it off with, Romans chapter 8, verse 39. No power in the sky or in the earth below indeed, nothing at all, 
in creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for listening to my testimony. Hello? Okay. <laughs> wow, that was amazing. Thank you, Freddie. Um, so for those who don't know me, my name is Isabella. Um, I've been going to Centerview Church for about a year now. Um, my friend Bruno actually was the one that introduced me to Centerview, um, and you guys have been very good to me um, and has helped me uh, with my faith. Um, so I was born into a Christian household. When I was younger, my family and I would attend church every Sunday. I remember being around nine <laughs> when my grandma gifted me my first Bible. She would take care of my sisters and I a lot when we were young, and we would read the Bible together. My grandma had a big impact on my life and my faith. Years passed by, and I started high school. I remember everything had changed. I started smoking and drinking and living a life to satisfy myself. I thought these things would satisfy me, but they didn't. I knew these things would lead me away from God, but I just ignored them. I would still go to church on Sundays, but was struggling to build my relationship with Christ. And then Monday to Saturday, going back to the same old cycle. I was living for the world, but deep down, I knew that God was calling me. My family stopped going to church shortly after due to work, so it became hard for me to get back into the word of God without community around me to encourage me. After high school, I would sometimes read my Bible, but very minimally, and I continued living in sin. During COVID, uh, my grandma had passed away from ovarian cancer. Her passing took a huge toll on my mental health, and I became depressed. But during this time, it made me reflect on my life. <laughs> and I wanted to change for the better. <laughs> and it made me remember when she taught my family and I to pick up our cross and walk with Christ, <laughs> to continue to spread the good news for those who don't know Jesus. I knew that I wanted to have that strong faith in Jesus just as she did. So I repented my sins and asked God to transform my life. I stopped living in sin and gave my life to Christ. My life with Jesus has been so fulfilling that I want everyone to have that fulfillment of God's love and grace in Christ. God has given me the eyes of discernment and have filled my heart with joy. He is the only thing that would satisfy me till now and forever. Jesus had not only filled my heart, but he had broken every chain in my life that, he, that had held me down. And I want you all to know that there is power in the name of Jesus. I want everyone to know that you can turn your life to Jesus and trust in his plan. Each and every one of us has a gift of God. Sorry. Each and every one of us has a gift God has given us to share and spread the gospel. Today I am getting baptized to tell everyone that I am a new creation in Christ and there is nothing that I can't do with Jesus. I would like to end it with my favorite Bible verse, uh, Psalm 121, verse 1 to 3 which says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Thank you.
Good morning. My name is Jacob, and I'm 13 years old. I've been going to Centerview Church for around six years now. The first time I came to Centerview, it was lots of fun. I played games, sang songs, danced, and made friends. But God was never really the focus. I just cared about having fun. There were some moments where I would feel God's presence, but I strayed away from him the rest of the week. Fast forward a couple of years, and I found myself further from God than ever before. My life was sinful, and I felt like there wasn't any hope or anything I had to work towards. I would make fun of people at school and talk behind their backs. I would rather watch TV and go on my phone than read the Bible. I kept telling myself that I would change one day and that it didn't really matter right now. But then I came to the realization that my life wasn't where I wanted it to be. I wanted to be a loving person who centered God in my life, but I kept on postponing my time with him. Things like reading the Bible and praying became a second priority, and school and social media came before them. But God shifted my direction on a summer night when I was home alone. I decided to open up my Bible to Matthew. I wasn't really interested at first, but I read a couple of chapters in bed every single night. Day by day, his message became clearer. I would pray that God would draw me near and that I would stay committed, and that is exactly what he allowed. Slowly, I finished reading Matthew with a changed heart. My life with Jesus now is simply happier. I now know that God has a mission for each and every one of us. I have hope in my life. I still have a lot to work towards, like I can still get mad easily and argue with people over small things. But this is why I've chosen to get baptized today as a milestone in my life that I can remind myself of and remember this moment where I will show you, myself, and God that I, want, that I want there to be no chains attached. But I want to embrace his presence every single moment in my life from now on. I want to leave you all with this. Committing to God might take a long time. You might read the Bible and want to stop after you open the book or pray and feel like God isn't listening. But I promise you that if you take the time to focus on God, he will give you the knowledge to understand his word and reassure you that he listens. In Psalms chapter 119, verse 105, it says, The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The word of, we can't see without light, and the light of the Bible has shown me the path that God wants me to follow. As I take this step in my life to get baptized, I no longer want to live in sin, but I want to embrace God's presence fully. Thank you for listening to my testimony. Good? Good morning. Good morning. You guys, can, you guys can be seated. Good morning, Centerview Church. What a beautiful morning. Just hearing those testimonies, seeing them get baptized. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question after, but Ava's saying that we do have a, a little party for Jacob, and, and she's coming. So super, super exciting to celebrate, to celebrate what God has been doing and what God is doing here in this church. He is building his church. Amen. Amen. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Jesus, for who you are, God. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. God, you are powerful. God, you are mighty, God, and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness and what you are doing in, in this church and, and in the people's lives, Lord. God, we pray that you may continue to be building your church, that you may continue to be doing a work in us. 
Lord, throughout this time as I share Jesus, may you speak out of me, Lord. May it be your truth, God, that I share, Jesus. And I pray as, as people hear your word, Lord, that it may be good soil, that we would go out and we would leave this place being transformed and changed into your image. Amen. 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 So today I have the privilege to be preaching on Romans 15, 1 to 7. So before we actually break all of that down, I'm just going to read it, okay? Um, we should have the passage up there as well. Romans 15, 1 to 7. And it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Whatever, whatever was written in former days was written for our, our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scripture, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth, God. Thank you, Lord, that it is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path, God. It is alive and active, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen, amen. So for those who don't know, my name is Christian. Um, I'm the assistant pastor here at Centerby Church, and like I said, I have the privilege to be preaching today. Um, so we've been going through a sermon series called The One Another's, and throughout the past two months, we've been looking at passages throughout the Bible that speak about being united, and I love this sermon series. See, I believe, um, I believe the concept, and I believe that unity, being united, one another's is is a bigger deal than maybe we've truly realized. And the sermon series, for those who don't know, taught us what it looks like to love. It taught us what it looks like to pray for, bear with, speak truth to, serve, honor one another. And today, as I read Romans 15, 1 to 7, I have the privilege to talk about living in harmony with one another. But before I do, I want to give some context and look at the chapters before so we can understand what is truly going on in these seven verses. See, the book of Romans was written by a man named Paul, and he wrote this book to the churches that were located at Rome. And in this, overall, and in this book, he explained the relationship between Jews and Gentiles and God's overall plan of redemption. But he also addressed, and this is key, he addressed the tension between these two groups, Okay. See, before the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, before he sent it to Rome, he hears word that there was tension going on, more specifically, like I said, to the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And for those who don't know, Gentiles are those who are not Jewish. So really any ethnicity that is not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, you would be considered a Gentile in, in this time. So the Jews and the Gentiles, they would, they would be arguing with one another. There was tension. Right? And in this situation, the tension starts because the Jewish Christians are making the Gentiles follow the Torah, which are the Old Testament laws. And, and I want us to catch this, okay? This is really important in understanding the rest of the sermon. The Jewish Christians were being rejected by the larger Gentile group in the church because the Jewish, be Jewish believers still felt constrained to observe dietary Old Testament laws and sacred traditions. 
But they didn't just feel this, this, this need to, to follow that. They also felt this need to impose it on them as well. Okay, so you got, you got the Jewish Christian. And, and, and they've been Christian for a while. And, and they're like, hey, you know, we, we follow this and we got to follow this. And now there's this new group that has come here and we gather together. But it's not just us that should follow it. You need to do it as well. You've got to do it as well. And then you got the Gentile community. And they're like, whoa, 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 slow it down. Like, you guys are telling us what to do. Like, we don't have to do that anymore. We, we, we don't got to do that. Christ actually fulfilled all of that. He didn't abolish it, but he fulfilled all of that. And now there is tension. And now we got two cultures going on, okay? You got the Gentile culture, like I said, those who are mostly newer Christians, those who God has saved after the death and resurrection of Christ, and they understand their full freedom in Christ. And then you got the Jewish culture, those who've been followers of God. They know the Old Testament. Scripture is in, the bl- in, in their blood. They, they memorized it, but they still feel the need to follow these traditions. And these two groups are butting heads. There, there, there's tension. There's these two groups are arguing with one another to the point that this one group, the Gentile group, is actually saying, hey, you guys actually need to leave. Like, you need to get out of here. Actually, don't come here on Sundays anymore. Don't join our gatherings. Like, I want us to understand how serious this is, okay? Like, just imagine I put a line right down in the middle of Centerview Church. And, and we had two groups. We got this group and we got that group. And you guys are constantly arguing with one another. You guys are constantly gossiping with one, uh, uh, behind people's backs. You guys are t- talking back. There's, there's all this tension going on. And someone new comes and, and they're like, oh, I, I feel something here. And it's, ten- it's not the presence of God. Like, this is tension that is going on between these people. And, and it gets so intense that this group looks at that group and they say, hey, don't come here anymore. Like, don't come here on Sundays anymore. We, we don't want you to come here anymore. It's, it's like the, this group is saying, Roger, don't step foot in this building. We don't need you. Like, this is what's going on, right? And when Paul writes this letter to them, he addresses this issue. Because I know there are two cultures going on. But above all, I want you to have this Christ culture. This is what he's going to be talking about. He's like, above all, I want you to have this Christ culture. See, Romans 15 is the later part of the book, and Paul is now giving very practical instructions. Paul advised them on the proper means of living a Christian life, and in this Christ culture, harmony, humility, and love are his main concerns. So now this, this leads us to our main passage, okay? So the first point, building up your neighbor. Let me just read verses 1 real quick. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. So I want to define a few words here, okay? I want to define the word strong, and I want to define the word weak. And when the Apostle Paul says the word strong and weak, he's not talking about physical strength, okay? Like when he says strong, he's not referring to someone like Kristoff, who gets like a personal record every time he goes to the gym and like benches 500 pounds. And when he talks about someone that's weak, he's, he's not referring to someone like me who is, who is fragile, But (laughs) but, but when the Apostle Paul says weak, he's referring to the Jewish group. He's referring to the Jewish Christians. Why? Because they still feel this need to follow these traditions, and not just follow it, but also impose it on another group. And then when he says the word strong, he's referring to the Gentile group, those who are fully aware of their freedom in Christ. They understand that transformation is happening within and that Christ fulfilled those laws. See, once you understand this, you might think that the strong is right and the weak is wrong. 
And in a way, the, the, the weak is wrong, but I want us to remember that it is the strong that is kicking out the weak. Like, it's the strong that is doing that. So in a way, both are wrong. And we see that there's a lot of pride going on, and, and this pride is leading to disunity, and this pride is leading to division. And in this world, and, and, and in this verse, it's saying, hey, you know, I know you are strong, but you need to bear with the feelings of the weak. I know the weak are imposing rules on you, but don't disregard them. Don't kick them out. Bear with them. Right? Like, this reminds me of the world that we live in today, is it not? If we disagree, if we impose a thought or a belief to the world, and if the world disagrees with that or the culture of our time says no, guess what? You're canceled. This is what happens. But what Paul is writing to this church, he's saying, hey, the opposite actually needs to happen. You guys need to be united. Don't kick them out. Instead, live in harmony with one another. Instead, the strong should bear with the weak. This is the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Amen? This is not just an encouragement. But there is a word there in in verse 1, and it says, an obligation. Like, it's an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak. Not just if you want to. Paul's like, oh, I'm encouraging you to do this, and you get to choose. No, it's an obligation to do this. It's an obligation to stay united. I want us to understand that this is not the first time Paul brings this up in this letter, okay? It's not the first time. It's chapter 15. There, there's, chap- there's 16 chapters in, in the book um, for, for Romans, okay? And, and he actually talks about this in chapter 12. And for those who don't know, Pastor William actually preached on this passage a couple weeks ago, and it was called Honor One Another. And chapter 12, 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one, honor one another above yourself. Again, there was tension going on. And he addressed this in chapter 12, and now he is addressing it again towards the end of his letter. It's like Paul is saying, hey, I want to emphasize how important this is. I want to emphasize, when I talk about you not pleasing yourself, bearing with the feelings of the weak, I want to emphasize how important this is because I actually spoke about this already, and I want to share it again. Right? So just to share a little story, for those who don't know, I, I, I work at an organization called Global 180, and, and we, we create programs, and we have drop-in centers for middle school students. And during this drop-in time, we would actually play organized games, and I would be the one to explain the rules of the game, Okay. So I, w- I would go up, and there would be a bunch of students, and I would say, hey, the objective of the game is this. And then I would start talking about the rules. And, and then I would say, hey, and if you drop the ball, you cannot pick it up. And then I would explain even more, explain more. And then towards the end, I would say, hey, remember, if you drop the ball, you cannot pick it up. And I would say this a second time, so, they, so then the students would know that this is important. They would know, hey, okay, he emphasized this twice. I got to remember this. And, and this is what the Apostle Paul is doing. In chapter 12, Paul is telling them to honor one another above themselves. And now he's saying, hey, I know there is tension. And I know address this, but I'm going to remind you again. Don't be pleasing yourself. Put others above you. Be united. And why? Why should they do this? See, Paul understood the importance of unity. For two groups to live in harmony with one another, despite their differences, despite the tension that is happening within the church. So you need to care for each other in the body of Christ. And even though this passage is talking about um, the weak being those who are imposing rules, I, I believe that there is a, a overall theme here about the weak and the strong. 
We stand every church when we see a brother or sister that is weak, falling down, going the other direction. We shouldn't be saying, hey, you need to leave. We actually have a disagreement. You need to get out. We need to be the first ones to say, hey, I'm going to pick you up. This mindset of I'm right, you're wrong needs to leave and needs to be like, hey, yes, I might be right, but but I'm actually going to encourage you. It's an obligation for me to bear with that. I'm going to encourage you, be the wind on your back and push you closer towards Christ. Amen. And then in verse two, it says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Okay, I want to clear something up in this verse. This is not talking about being a people pleaser. Okay, when it says, please your neighbor, it's not talking about being a people pleaser. It's not talking about, oh, you know, know, this this person wants me to do this. And and if I do this, I know it's going to please them. Therefore, I'm going to do it. But but who knows here that our neighbor might be pleased by gossip? Like like who knows here that our neighbor might be pleased by sexual sin? Who who knows here that our neighbor might be pleased by violence? But but it's the second half that 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 truly um takes this verse and, and, and makes it alive. It's saying it's for their good. It is to build them up. See, Paul encourages the church in Rome to please their neighbor for their good. And this message is for, for us today. It's for us today. See, if we're going to be real with ourselves, we live in an incredibly selfish age. We live in an, an incredibly self-focused age where it's all about me. It's all about looking out for number one. It's all about me, me, me. That's really the whole message of our times. You're number one. You make your own boundaries. You do your own thing. You are the master of everything. But let me tell you, this is not what Christianity is about. And the Apostle Paul knows that to honor God, we need to get our eyes off ourselves, and we need to start building up others. This is what it means to live in harmony with one another. It involves humility. See, humility is not thinking less about ourselves. This is not what this verse is saying. It's, it's thinking about others before ourselves. And, and I want us to understand this. When we think like this, we will live in harmony with one another. When the strong believer's eyes are turned away from themselves and focus on the needs of others, the weak, this sort of outward-looking mentality, this will lead to the unity among the people of God. If I, consider you, if I consider you above me and if you consider me above you, then a marvelous thing happens here. We have a community where everyone is looked up to and no one is looked down on. And the question is why? Why do we do this? Why do we say, hey, I'm not going to please myself, but I'm going to please my neighbor? Why? It is for their good. It is to build them up. It is to build up the church. This needs to bring edification. Yeah, I, I want us to imagine this and Man, as I was preparing this sermon, I I didn't just want us to imagine this. It's actually been my prayer. It's been my hope, and I prayed that this would be all of our desires. What if we came to church with the attitude that we are going to build someone up? Like, like really take that in. What if we came to church with the attitude that we are going to build someone up? I, I think there are times that we can come here on Sunday and say, hey, I'm just going to sit and I'm, I'm going to take in the sermon and then I'm going to leave. I'll, I'll say a couple highs, a couple byes, and then I'm going to go. But, but what if all of us, every single person in this room, before we got here, we prayed to God and we said, God, I pray that you would use me today as I see my church family to build someone up. I pray today that you would use me to serve someone to build someone up, to encourage someone, to be generous to someone. What if we all prayed that prayer and we said, God, here I am, use me, just like Isaiah. Like how beautiful would that image be? How different would everything look? 
and, and what if we just didn't do that on Sundays, but we actually did that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and then we called someone, and then we visited someone, and then, and then we, we, we took someone out for coffee or dinner. How beautiful would that be? See, Romans 14, 19 says, so then when we pursue the things which make for peace, so then we, sh- we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. See, we need to pursue building up one another. Like we need to pursue it. You know what that word means? It means like chasing after, doing everything you can to pursue that. We need to pursue building up one another. And this challenge that the Apostle Paul is giving to the people of Rome will be difficult. Okay, again, go, we go back to the context. Tensions are rising. Arguments are happening. There are two different cultures, and now they're hearing the words, please one another, don't do it for yourself, build one another up for their good. And these two groups are like, whoa, this is, this, is, this is a lot. This is difficult to hear. They're probably reading this letter while there's tension in, in the air. Paul knows it's going to be hard for them. So he gives them an example in the next verses. He gives them an example. And the example is the greatest example to have ever walked this earth. So this leads us to my second point. Let's look at verses 3 and 4, looking to the examples of Christ. Okay, let me, let me read verses 3. It says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You see, Jesus is the ultimate example of a person who did not live to please himself. Jesus is the ultimate example. He's the greatest example of self-denial. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was a others-centered person. Well, that's exactly what we need to be. We need to be an other-centered person. We can't be constantly thinking about how we can please ourselves. And what does this look like in a self-centered world? Paul used an Old Testament passage to explain how Christ did not please himself. He, he refers to Psalm 69.9, and it says, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And another translation says, The insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. Let me explain this verse a little bit. See, the insults, the slander, the abuse that humanity has shown towards God has fell on the Son. Jesus took the abuse and suffered for the glory of God through dying on the cross. This, this, this gruesome death. Philippians 2.8 says, He, and he, when he says he, he's talking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul says even Christ did not please himself. And if anyone has, has the right to please himself, it would be Jesus, right? Like he is the son of God. He is God himself. Yet he emptied himself in humility and said, I'm not going to please myself, but instead I'm going to please the Father. This is the greatest example of self-denial. See, in Luke 22, Jesus is praying to God, okay? He's praying and he knows that he is about to die soon. He, he is about to be arrested. And, and he says this prayer to God. And as he is praying, he's, he's actually in pain. He's in anguish because he knows what is about to happen. 
he's 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 in anguish so much that he actually starts to sweat blood like do you do you understand how much pain how much anguish you need to be in to to sweat blood and in this prayer jesus is saying father if you are willing take this cup from me like jesus knows what's about to happen he knows that he is about to die this this gruesome death he knows that he is about to be whipped and he is about to be crucified on the cross. He is about to be mocked. He is about to be spit on. And he's, and he's crying and, and he's in anguish and he's pain and, and he's sweating blood. And he's saying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Meaning if I could do something else, could I actually go down this path and not this path? But then he says something so beautiful. And I believe that it truly exemplifies the heart of the son. And he says, yet not my will yours be done like he's in anguish he's in pain he knows what is about to happen but but he's praised to god and he says god even though i don't want to do this if you are willing to take this cup away from me but above all yet not my will but yours be done what you want me to do not my will not not my kingdom but may your kingdom come may your will be done see whatever dishonor was done to god fell on jesus and this seems to come in as a reason why the strong should bear with the weak. That we must not please ourselves, for Christ did not please himself. We must bear with the weak, for Christ bore the insults of those who insulted God. He bore the guilt of sin. And we must look to the examples of Christ when we are thinking about not wanting to please ourselves. Guys, this is the essence of Christ's life. This is the essence of the gospel, that God sent his one and only son on this earth to exemplify what it means to love humanity, to, to show the sacrificial death that is intentional, that is unconditional, that Jesus would come here and say, hey, I would do this for humanity, not looking to myself and the things that I want to do, but truly for God humanity and all of this happened so that we might be right with god amen see the insult fell on jesus for our sake he suffered for our sake he died for our sake jesus displayed the ultimate display of humility so that we might be changed so that we might be transformed by his loving sacrifice and when we interact with people we are called to interact with them that the way that christ interacted with us See, when we constantly fix our eyes on God and the work on the cross, we will grow to have a desire to not want to please ourselves. And if Christ, the very Son of God, did not live to please himself, how much more should we forego all personal advantage and follow the path of the suffering servant? See, verse 4 speaks of the hope which comes from perseverance and from Scripture. Okay? What the Apostle Paul is trying to say in this verse is that the commandment Jesus fulfilled from Psalm 69 applies to us as well. It's not, not just for Jesus. It was written for our learning so that we might have hope. And the objective of this verse is to show the importance of applying the passage quoted from Psalms. But it will also show that what is recorded in the Bible, every single word, every single sentence, every single chapter, every single book is designed for our instruction. See, the character of Christ that is portrayed in Scripture should be an example to follow. And verse 4 contains a principle that I believe that all believers should follow today, especially in the world that we live in. Right? You hear it. 
right? You, you hear the words, why are you listening to a book that was written years and years and years and years ago? You know, I guess the Bible has good lessons, but it's not really the, the word of God. But, but I would challenge that. Scripture is for today. Scripture is for tomorrow. Scripture is forever. It is inspired. Scripture is a double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. The word of God is alive and active. And it is through the endurance taught in scripture and the encouragement it brings that we are enabled to live in hope, that we are enabled to live in harmony. See, Paul encourages the Gentiles and the Jews to look to Jesus' examples, but he does not stop there. He tells them to look at scripture as well and to follow its instructions. It is through looking at God's word, looking at the Bible, meditating on it day and night, where we become transformed and desire harmony among one another. So my last point, living in harmony with one another for the glory of God. Let me just read verses five. It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. See, in verse five, Paul is now saying, may the God. Like, like, do you know what that means? When he says the words, may the God, he, he is now praying. Like, it's remarkable. He starts praying. All of a sudden, in the middle of his letter, he breaks into prayer. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Like, do you know what this shows us? It shows us that this great work of loving one another of putting one another first, of bearing the feelings of the weak. It is the work of the Father. It is the work that he does through us through prayer. And if we need to pray that God would work this in us, then it's not something that happens through sheer strength of will. It's not going to be accomplished by the strength of will, but this unity, living in harmony with one another, will be accomplished by the strength of the Father. It will be accomplished by the Spirit of the living God working within us. See, believers should strive for unity, yes, but ultimately it is God's gift, not human attainment. We can only live in harmony through the power of our Lord Jesus. There is a reason why in verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul doesn't say, hey, and these are 10 ways that you can live in harmony with one another. He doesn't, he doesn't preach a sermon and say, hey, here are 10 ways for you to do this. Instead, he says, look to Christ and look to Scripture. It is through looking at Christ. It is through meditating in his word where we will be transformed, where we will be changed. And, and through that transformation, we will have a desire to live in harmony with one another. This unity should be desired. We need to look to Jesus Think as he does. Take on his values. Take on his practices. See, as each member of the church draws closer to Christ, we will at the same time draw closer to one another. Like, understand that. As, as each member of the church draws closer to Christ, ultimately we will start to draw closer to one another. The experience of Christian unity produces a symphony of praise to God in which every voice blends with all the others to the glory of God. It is a family. We, the adopted sons and daughters of God, sing praises to Jesus. And verses 5 and 6 constitute a prayer, constitute a prayer which in which Paul prays for the unity of the strong and the weak, the Jews and the Gentiles. 
He prays that they would be united. He prays that they would live in harmony again despite tensions, despite disagreements. And he ends his prayer by saying that together you may be, you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the prayer was that so they would be one. The prayer was so they would be united. See, baptism Sundays are one of my favorites. And, and I personally love when people would share their testimonies and listening to Leo and Freddie and Isabella and my younger brother, Jacob, listening to their testimonies. I, I couldn't help but get emotional. I couldn't help but praise God for what he is doing in this church. See, when they share their testimony, they're announcing to the world that they are no longer living for the world, but they're announcing to the world that they were living for Jesus. When they share their testimonies, they're announcing to the world that they were dead, they were once dead, but now they are alive in Christ. But they are also announcing to the world that they are part of a family that is one. And, and when we are one, together as one, we worship the one true God. This is what we do here. And if you notice in, in their testimony, they, they shared how people impacted them. And most of them shared that Bruno impacted them. Praise God for that. And, and, and how people pushed them and, and encouraged them closer towards God. See, it's beautiful when people talk about those who've impacted them. Understand this. It is when we live in harmony with one another, people will be impacted. When we live in harmony with one another, I guarantee you we will hear more baptism testimonies. This is why Paul prays for this in the people in Rome. In the midst of disagreements, in the midst of tension that is happening, he prays a prayer because he knows the importance of them being united. And Jesus prayed a similar prayer as well. In, in John 17, in the Garden of Gethsemane, again, Jesus is praying before he is about to die. And, and he prays to the Father and he says, God, if your people are one, just as you and I are one, then people will believe that you have sent me. Like, did, did you catch that? Je Jesus is saying, God, if your people are one, if your people are so united the way that you and I are united, then people will believe that you have sent me. And, and as Christians, as followers of God, our, 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 our greatest desire is that our friends, our family, the community that we are part of would know Jesus Christ. That it would be our goal to share the gospel, to share the good news, to be the light in this world, to love the way that Christ has loved. And what Jesus is praying, he is not saying, hey, for people to know that you have sent me, you need the best smoke machine, you need the lights, you need the best preacher to actually preach, you need the best worship team, you need the best programs. Oh, your youth group better look like this, your kids program better look like this. This is not what Jesus is saying at all. This is not what he prayed. Instead, Jesus said, God, if your people are one, just as you and I are one, then people will believe that you have sent me. He has called us to be united. He's called us to stand together as one. So as I close this off and as I talk about verse 7, why don't you guys stand with me? And I want us to understand that the unity that Paul prays is not just for their own good, but the desire is that it would glorify God, right? At the end of verse 7, it says, for the glory of God. All of this is done for the glory of God. God is not honored if the believing community is fractured by divisions. He is honored when the Jews and Gentiles, with all their diversity, stand shoulder to shoulder and lift their voices and praise God. 
God is glorified when we, Centerview Church, is living in harmony despite our differences, despite our different upbringings, despite our different backgrounds. He is glorified when we lift our voices all together and praise the one true God. So I encourage us that as we come to a place of worship, that we would truly worship God standing shoulder to shoulder with our brother and sister, worshiping the one true God. See, Paul's goal is to display the glory of God. Believers should welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And if Christ welcomes the strong and the weak, then we should do the same despite our differences. May we live in harmony with one another because we love and the one that is love has loved us first. May we live in harmony with one another because we grew to have a desire to be united through scripture and through prayer. May we live in harmony with one another because we view each other as a brother and sister in Christ. May we live in harmony with one another, one another for the glory of God. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Jesus, for who you are. God, you are a good, good God, Lord, and I pray, Jesus, for Centerview Church. I pray for everyone here, Lord. I pray, God, that you would do a work in us, Lord, that you would transform us, God, that we would want to be united, Father. But ultimately, Jesus, we would want to do this through your strength because it brings glory to you. Father, lead us, guide us, Lord. God, I pray, Jesus, for, for anyone that is um, feeling if, you know, this, this, this tension of giving their life to Jesus after hearing these testimonies, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would intervene, God. That, God, that your peace, your presence would surround them, Lord. God, do as you please. We thank you and we love you, God. We know that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you are mighty. Thank you, God, that you are constantly working, even in the times where we do not see it. God, may we glorify you in everything that we do, Jesus. That we would leave this place with the mindset of how can I glorify you and how can I build up one another? How can I live in harmony with one another? What can I do? Who can I serve? Who can I love? Thank you so much, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.